to Affect Autism, where Affect is the number one tool we use in supporting child development through playful interactions. Get 15% off any DIR 101 course and introduction to DIR and DIR floor time through ICDL.com by using the promo code AFFECTA15. That's A-F-F-E-C-T-A-1-5. Hello, I'm Daria Brown, and today we have Maud LaRue back with us. She is an occupational therapist who has a total approach clinic in Glen Mills, Pennsylvania, where we have brought our son to many times. He misses school camp, Miss Maud, having been away uh, because of COVID. And today we wanted to talk about a topic that I had done a blog post about some years ago in 2016 about slowing down and stretching out interactions. But we have a different take on it today about what it means to slow down with our kids in the Developmental Individual Differences Relationship-Based Model or DIR floor time. And so let's get into it. Welcome, Maud. Well, I'm, I'm so glad to be here. It's been a while. And, um, and I'm just so, I do miss all my Canadian families. We haven't had, I mean, we've had one family in the last two years that came right at the end of August, right as the border started opening. So they were waiting there with their trailer on <laughs> the border to come over. So I would love to have our Canadian families back again next summer. But yes, we do need to talk about this topic. It's something that has reared its head when I started my practice 20 years ago now. Um, and it's sort of was always in the background, but now it's sort of rearing its head again. And this is the piece that when we talk about going slow, we have a floor time technique behind that, but it's also a global piece. And this is the part that I would like for us to start with talking, Daria. It's um, We still find that parents are under the burden of we got to catch up. We got to catch up. We got to catch up. And that drive of we got to catch up is also what drives some anxiety and what drives that, that increase wanting to have that performance demand on the child. And so today I want to have a little bit of a voice for the child and speaking as if I'm there in their mind, because this is what we see. We totally get that parents want their kids to catch up. It's let me just say that there's no judgment in this at all. Nothing. If, if it was my child, I think that my anxiety about who they're going to marry one day and what college they're going to go to would have been there amongst everybody else, right? What is happening now is that our world is changing to a much faster paced world. It is at the drop of a button, you can have one day delivery from Amazon. You can take your car to the pharmacy and get your medicine right there by stand, not even getting out of your car. You can have instant gratification in so many different realms. That pushes the technology piece into faster and faster paced information, which we can get beautifully everywhere now. This is what you're doing right now. You're using the podcast to get information out there. But development has not changed. We're still nine months in the womb if everything goes okay. We're still getting born the same way. We still are using the first five to seven years of our life to mature and to myelinate our nervous system. 
we still are using up until 24, 26 years of age to fully create our executive pathway. It has not changed. So typical kids are coming up with anxiety symptoms. Typically developing children have, have got this performance demand on them that we must read earlier, we must write earlier. The poor thumb abductor hasn't even gotten in yet, but we have to have pencil grip, right? Um, we're getting referrals from teachers that sending a kid to us at three and four years old because they can't write. They're not really supposed to be writing beautifully, but you know, at that age, just developmentally speaking, right? So we, it's this piece that because the world is changing, typical kids are struggling with performance demand. What about our kids with developmental delay? What about them? Now we want inclusion. We want them to be in a regular education classroom and we want them to learn alongside their peers. What mother doesn't want that? What father wouldn't work 10 hours a day to get that to happen for their child, right? Yet the child is in the middle of all of this. This piece bothers me very much. The child is perceiving this world as whoop, 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 like a fast-paced cartoon. Taking in, and it goes in and it goes out, and it goes in and it goes out. And we sit with pieces like, why isn't the child taking in the information the first time? Why must I be spending my time on the same thing next week like I, like I never even taught that before? And we wonder about all of this information overload that's coming into the child's brain and they are expected to catch up. So there's different um, pieces at work here. It's the child's nervous system that's developmentally delayed, that's not at the same processing speed as the typically developing child. It's the, the family pressure of my child needs to get there, that my child needs to be in a regular included classroom. I need to secure the best possible future for my child. And then it's the whole world that's saying, well, come on, enough already. We should have had that yesterday. So all of that and the development piece hasn't changed. And yeah, I, it, I want us to look at that. <laughs> So many good points there, and I, I just want to say for people who haven't um, seen the trailer yet for We Chose Play, uh, I have a new series, and episode one is really about that experience of when you get that diagnosis and that that fear and just that anguish that you feel because uh, of this narrative around autism as being such a tragedy, which of course has to change and how parents feel that pressure to push forward, like you say. And I did a, a podcast with Dr. Gil Tippy, who talked about good education. Good autism education is just good education. And he talked about how, in general, education is lousy. And you brought up some of the points, like just flooding information in at kids. And, you know, if they're not just regurgitating, then, you know, what are, what, where is the actual learning happening? And, and so your, your point about anxiety being off the charts, uh, Jennifer Kalari in, um, out of Toronto does a wonderful 
uh, podcast called Connected Parenting, and she has a website, and she talks all about how uh, how to help kids with anxiety in general, not uh, children on the spectrum, but just in general. So I will put links to those three things in our blog post at affectautism.com for today's today's podcast. But I, I think the point that you're making is how do we slow down in order to speed up? Because we can't force development. Like you said, development is the way it is. And I'll just say from my own experience, well, people, which people will see if, if they continue to watch the, the episodes in We Chose Play that I'll continue to unfold. We've seen our child's development progress so nicely as the DIR model lays out. And, and Maude has told me that she's seen it in all of her clients as well. They always follow those developmental trajectories, even though it looks different for every child because each child is on their own path and, and they have their own individual differences. But what has amazed me more than anything is when I see those things start to happen. And I think at the time, oh, my son never did that. Oh, my son never did that. Oh, he didn't do that. And then lo and behold, a year later, two years later, Oh, he's finally doing that, what they thought he was supposed to do at age two. Oh, he's finally doing that now, what they thought he was supposed to do at age three. Oh, he's finally doing that now, what they were supposed to do at age four. And it really is amazing how his body and nervous system just needed that extra time and to go at his own pace. Other kids I've seen move much faster than my son. Um, he had a severe brain injury at 28 months old. Whether that's why, who knows? Every child's on a different path. But it, it really is important to go at their own pace. That's why I didn't rush toilet training with him. That's why I didn't force him to eat with utensils. Uh, when I saw he just didn't have the fine motor yet. Um, and, and all of the things that I learned from you from going to your clinic about which motor skills happen first and what has to come before he will do these things. It's so important, you know, and, and the, the, the thing about going faster, if you go slow, is that that sounds like an oxymoron, I know, but it's not. Because there's like four different principles that I think we need to highlight in this piece. And the first principle is, what is in the child's wiring makeup, the baby's makeup? that drives it inside of them to want to grow up and learn, right? So the nervous system, of course, um, that's the easy part of the answer, is going to give us a processing speed that's gonna develop as the trajectory unfolds. Um, the motor, the sensory, the emotional pieces of the FEDCs. The child, the baby though, what makes the nervous system go forward is the sense of safety and security. The sense of I can rest in my parent. And the, the poor parents of today, not because I have like sympathy, but I have a whole lot of empathy. I don't think parents need sympathy. They need people that understand what they're going through, right? That's where I'm at. They are sitting with this burden of, I sometimes have to be the teacher 
I sometimes have to be the speech pathologist. I sometimes have to be the OT. Everybody's giving me something to do. And I, I feel like if I don't do all of those pieces, uh, my child's going to be behind and it's going to be my fault. And I'm not going to be a good enough caregiver, not a good enough mother, because I'm not going to be doing all these things. And unfortunately, we as professionals, we are to blame because we are the parent comes to me. I say something to them. Then the parent goes to speech pathologist and they say something. And we don't talk enough. We don't talk enough to each other. Can we all be on the same page? And I think we spoke about that at another podcast. If you didn't speak about hundreds of others already, that DAR is a wonderful common language to speak. Those of us who understand DAR, we are speaking the same language to the child. Backtrack though. When the parent is going through so many pressures from everybody, how does she impute the stillness that the baby craves to feel safe? That the child craves to feel, I am in a place where I'm being contained. Emotional bundles and all. And all of my, when I cry, I have that response. When I cry this way, she knows I'm hungry. When I cry this way, she knows that I'm getting mad because I'm not getting enough attention right? And when I cry this way, it's because something feels uncomfortable. And mommy is contingent to that relationship. And I listen to a lot of um, trauma podcasts and, and, and trainings and whatever. And lately, Bonnie Badenoch gave this term for me on one of her webinars and said that safety is the therapy. So when we think about that, so many of us when we go, even us as a therapist, you go into the room, you've got activities, you want to make sure they get onto a bolster swing, you want to make sure they get their balance done, you know, you've got all these pieces you want to do, because you want to be a good OT, you want to be a good speech pathologist, right? But then when we have a child who doesn't want to do what we want them to do, <laughs> they kind of look at you and they say, I'm out of here, um, or they're going to fight you, or they're going to go into the fight, fight or freeze, whatever it may be our plans go through the window. And then we feel the session is now going to fail. And I want to say to all of those therapists out there that may still have an inkling of that, that is the opportunity of the day. That is where you can come in with your floor time and co-regulate that child in front of that parent and give them a golden moment of what it means to rest in the child's anguish. And for that anguish to dissipate because mommy is there to contain, because the therapist is there to contain. And if we are wanting the goal of self-regulation, it's impossible to have self-regulation if there is no model for co-regulation. So the first piece I really wanted to focus on is we got to look at my child's program, look at the child's teaching program, look at the school program, look at the entire bundle and say, how much rest is there for my child to simply just enjoy feeling safe? How much push is there on the child to need to grow up, right? And if we start valuing that safety and security and co-regulation is 
the ultimate goal, it's, it becomes a whole different ballgame. So we as therapists must be comfortable to deal with that, of course, and not be afraid of that little bit of a uprising of sympathetic overarousal so we can help to co-regulate it. And we have to be able to pull the parent in and say, come on, mom and dad, we're going to do this together. There's no perfect fit of what exactly to do for every child. But let's do this together and find the best way to co-regulate your child into a place where the body can relax enough to understand self-regulation, which is a major key issue in every autistic profile IEP, as well as any report that's ever written on them. Anxiety is a part of the profile. And let's get them relaxed. And let's go back to the model. The first functional, emotional, developmental capacity is shared attention and regulation. And as you said, if they're not regulated, there's nowhere else to go. And that regulation comes from being safe. You gave one source and other sources, the polyvagal theory. Uh, I'll put a link to the podcast with Dr. Porges. If you don't feel that sense of safety, forget about everything else and think about the pressures that we're putting on our children and, and not parents only, but think about if they go to school and they're made to feel like, oh, I can't do what all the other kids do. Oh, the teacher's asking me to do something here, but I can't catch up to that yet. I'm not there yet. And over day after day after day, being made to feel like I'm not as, you know, whatever as the other kids are. And then if they're, if they're um, being brought from therapy to therapy to therapy to therapy and other other kids aren't maybe there's other siblings who aren't why am i always the one going to therapy something wrong with me and you know a lot of people dismiss that but children are super sensitive to that and just allowing our kids to rest and giving them that um, message that you are great just as you are every single day and instead making it about fun activities to do. So, um, you know, when we went to school camp, <laughs> school camp at Miss Maud's intensive at a total approach, you know, it was about all the fun train things that my son loved. That was his great trip was going to Strasburg, Pennsylvania and going on the train rides and seeing the train museums and going to the model trains at Morris Arboretum in the, the garden. And, um, you know, Miss Janine in floor time would have the train set out for him. And of course he could then explore and expand, but through that interest, that's what made him feel safe and have fun and using that follow the lead approach where we follow the child's emotional interests. But yeah, without that sense of safety. And it's amazing because my son felt so safe with Miss Janine from the first time a year would lapse and he'd arrive at the first day that next year and get right into groove with Miss Janine like as if it was nothing, which is very different than being with some new therapist somewhere else that he doesn't know. But because she established that relationship with him and that's really that, you know, the affect and the relationship are that, you know, glue of, of the DIR model that made him feel safe. And then it's not about therapy. It was school camp and all the fun that he was having and all the fun things that him and Miss Noel did in his OT session. And 
you know, it it's uh, it made it easier to do some of the more remedial stuff when he was doing more the read-on program to to prepare for reading. You know, at first that was a little bit challenging, but as Dr. Platzman said, you guys had pennies in the bank with him, so he was able to do the more challenging stuff once the other stuff was established. You know, it's you know when the and this is part of actually point number three is that you do have to dislodge habits. And he got to a place where he really was showing all the signs of he can move on to those academics, but he, he wasn't going to do the leap himself. We had to push a little bit. That's not contrary to what we do in floor time. Like you said, we already had the pennies in the bank. And the and the big part of why he was so in tune with when, when he came back every year, even though 12 months have lapsed, was because the children remember and I want us to think about that because what if you had to ask your child right now, what do you remember about your experiences? Right? The, the two biggest skills that we have to become executive is to have self-regulation and then self-reflection. Um, and the self-reflection in the autistic brain is a lot of long-term memory that's associated with emotions of how they felt at certain times, which causes them to pre-anticipate, not that, I'm not, not this, right? Because they have that memory in there. And so what we have to think about is that, what is their memory bank filled with? Where, where do they go and hold on to building that scaffold from, this is pleasurable, and now I'm gonna build on that pleasure, just like every other typical child is doing. I firmly believe if typical development was good enough for the typical child, it's going to have to be good enough for our atypically developing child. It's just the way nature gave it to us. So why must I argue? So our job as therapists is to come in alongside the family and to say, okay, we're going to be working these pieces. This is the first element is we're going to make sure the safety is there. The security is there so that the child can feel in that safety. They can feel in control because ultimately that's what we want, as we want the child to feel in control so he doesn't become out of control and dysregulated. The second piece that comes up there, the whole piece about going slow in terms of pacing in the nervous system. It, it's something that you talk about a lot. You did that in that other podcast you referred to and other people have spoken about this as I was listening to them. It is a crucial deal just because there's a lot being said about it does not, please don't make that as, oh, okay, yeah, I know that. It's crucial from the child's point of view. If they are being met where they are at, they can go with you on the next step. I think the biggest thing when I train my own therapist and other therapists is to give them that, that whole piece of, if the child is with you in this moment, he is in this moment. He's not thinking about his school grades next year. He is the here, now. We must capitalize on this moment. So yeah, I have a scissor skill goal and I have a cutting goal and a fine motor goal and a goal to get him less gravitationally insecure, you know, to get him where he needs to be. But in this moment, I can only take him that one step further. And because I'm doing that one step further, he can follow. 
And this is the crucial piece that if we do that in the moment piece, which I know I'm not the only one spouting that horn, then what you see is the child naturally goes faster. All this pushing and prodding brings up much more of the child's sense of I'm not safe, I have anxiety, I have a performance demand, I don't feel I can come by and I'm going to be now be called somebody that has a behavior plan. Let's get away from that as far as possible. So first thing is safety. Second thing is let's let's get into um, the pacing and the meeting they're at. That's where floor time is pristinely beautiful and where it's just for me a match in heaven. So that point too is is so important because I found and I think others will agree that the more you learn about floor time, the more light bulbs go off. So you can hear something for years and you don't really get it. You think you get it like, oh, D, meet them where they are developmentally. I take into account their individual differences are the relationship, help them feel safe. Where to meet them developmentally is what you're just talking about in number two, which is all about attunement. I'll put links to the blog about attunement. I did a blog about where is your focus. Um, really about scaffolding, how you have to, you know, and, and I remember Dr. Tippy saying uh, something about what was going on with my son. He was, he said, I would work on that for two or three months before they think about, you know, pushing further. You just, you need to go slower in order to jump faster. And I'll refer people to the podcast with Dr. Platzman and, and Colette Ryan a few weeks ago on constrictions in development, where I gave this example of trying to go too fast with my son when he wanted to go see the new Paw Patrol movie and how we stood for 30 minutes watching it from the hallway before he was ready to go to his seat. And that whole process of staying with him where he's at, because um, there are so many examples I can think of every day where Mm -hmm. I'll just assume, oh, well, my son's done this before, so of course he can do it. Mm -hmm. If he's not there in that moment, uh, uh, uh. And you're going to get that meltdown. And right away, that meltdown is communication saying, whoa, mom, you went too fast. Let's slow down and attune in the moment. Because yes, he may be working in the functional, emotional, developmental capacities that are the higher ones now, four, five, and six. But in those moments, he's right back down at the first three. So let's slow down, move back. And when you give him that launching ground and that you know, solid foundation, Woof! watch them leap up. <laughs> That's right. And think about yourself. I mean, how many risks are you going to take when you're in a stressful period? And any new learning is risky to the child's development, right? So the child with typical development goes into the classroom and say, hey, teach, what you got for me today, right? The child with atypical development is, oh, I hope she doesn't change the structure from yesterday. Oh, I hope she doesn't give me anything new because I don't like new and novel. Oh, I hope she doesn't do that thing. That sound was awful that she made when she was reading that story, right? That's in the child with atypical's mind, right? And so the, the beautiful area of scaffold, as you were talking about, that's really what we need. So when we then go to the third point is we must look at the systems. For instance, the educational system. So a lot of the kids are um, in different educational environments. 
And yes, there is a performance demand on them. And yes, they do have to also be a school student. We need to put into the IEPs time for learning the transition in the beginning of the year. No, not as long as the typical kids get, longer. Part of that is, is that the child is allowed to be in the room, but not to the same level of participation. So that the child is a part of everything, he can use his eyes, which they often do, to, to observe, to take in, and to take the information in on their pace, so that by the time the performance demand comes, they've have enough of a scaffold to adhere to the performance demand. We must build into the IEP, the beginning of the year transition plan, which everybody talks about, but it's not always done. But in that, in that plan, there must be this piece, okay? When we have one-on-ones, those one-on-one -on -one assistants in the classrooms must be trained to let go and to observe when to let go, give the child the independence, and then move in when they are needed. They must be taught observational skill, not this is what you do every time this happens. Human behavior doesn't work that way. Today you tell me something, I'm going to respond in, in maybe a sweet way. Tomorrow you tell me something, exactly the same information. I didn't have a good night's sleep and I'm going to be defensive, right? So human behavior, if we want that to change, must also be adhering to those rules. So just look at the systems and what the performance demands are. What is the homework? Can we make it less? Can we make it no homework? What is the goal? Is the goal to get the child into an A honor roll situation? Is it to get them adhered to a classroom? Is it to give them safety and security from which they can springboard their learning? Yeah, I was just gonna give a quick example of you know when I drive my son home from school, sometimes I'll open the windows and he goes, close the windows, you know? And in the morning when we're on the way to school, Sometimes I'll open the windows because the if it's foggy, like this morning was quite cool. So the windows were all fogged up. I opened the windows, but didn't say a thing. And I noticed that, you know, things that may bother him will bother him more when he's, you know, he's at kind of at his limit for the day and he's ready to go home and relax and little things will push him over the ed edge. But in the morning, he's all fresh. He's happy. He's ready to go. Didn't even notice that I opened the windows. So that's just a trite example of, you know, assuming that, Oh, my son doesn't like when you open the window in cars. Well, usually no, but sometimes it's okay. And you have to be in that moment and understand where he is in that moment. Right, that's right. And, and to give him the time to explore that, you know, that's the, that's the big piece. Um, and I, I think it's just so crucial. Um, and what I've seen over and over and over is if the parent and the family really holds on to this piece, you know, I just, I just had the most beautiful pictures of um, one of our students that was, was for a long time. He's been out of our center now, probably for four years. He graduated from a program that's now been accepted into Alabama College. Um, he was, I remember those parents sitting on my couch crying. We don't know where to go. We don't know what to do. We have nowhere. It doesn't make sense. Our child meltdowns all the time. Bright, bright boy. So we worked with them for a number of years. 
Um, and yes, he graduated from our program. And then we got the message that he got a driver's license. And then we got a message, he's going to college. And somewhere, you know, when he got to us, he got to us a little bit later, it wasn't early. Um, and he was definitely quite, I mean, almost like four years delayed in many, many, many of the different pieces we tested, right? We urged them, do not push for catch up. Somewhere in his high school years, he caught up. He caught up in the regular included classroom. We weren't even involved. What, I, what happens is that when you provide this scaffold of support and you go slow at their pace, at some point, it just starts to happen. I remember our graduation party. <laughs> He, um, we, we were having a party for him with pizza and whatever. And then he told everybody, I hope you bring me a gift. Right? So he demanded his gift. So everybody dutifully brought their gifts to the party. But um, what a pleasure, you know, what a pleasure. Sorry. And I'll, I'll point I'll point people back to the Foundation Academics podcast I did with Dr. Gil Tippy because he really talks about how, you know, once you have that foundation, you can essentially learn all of elementary and high school in three months. And, you know, it might be a slight exaggeration, but, you know, he's 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 being serious. Like all the curriculum stuff is not a rush. The foundation is the most important piece. So I will refer people to that. The fourth point is that that you must do interventions that's going to sharpen the brain, right? Because our brain is plastic and can change to the day we die. It's not that you're wanting to change the child. We accept the child for whatever they bring to the table, but we can change the way the brain is supporting the child to be the best version of themselves they can be. But the important point is, just like all the other pacing we've discussed, the, in, the intervention must be planned at the right time and sequence. So I have families who say to me, Mark, we've done interactive metronome for timing. That didn't work, right? I'm like, yeah, when did you do it? You know, luckily the brain doesn't forget. So that when we got there, the brain, the child was ready, much more ready than the child who haven't gone there, right? Because the brain doesn't forget the experience, but they can't always apply it if the scaffold of the previous layer is not sturdy enough. So that is the fourth point, is that please keep working on the brain, but give it those points of rest and make sure that the next intervention is building on the previous intervention. That's when you see the development unfold. Before we run out of time, we do have a question from a patron, a member of Affect Autism, who asks, Miss Maud, my daughter is getting a little older. She's actually, I think, six or seven, and seems to be used to my, the mommy's, circle of communication. They were, they were always very consistent, slow-paced, and plentiful. But now she seems to jump into my conversations that are not necessarily with her, or when I'm reading a book aloud to her, she'll shout a word in response to something I just read, even though she's often distracted and multitasking or listening to music or something. And when mom tries to engage her at a slower pace than she was reading, the child ignores her, eventually picks up the book for her to continue reading. And even in playtime, she's pushing for quicker responses, but they're not always the most meaningful circles of communication. So does mom continue at her pace or continue to keep it slow even if she seems bored and walks away? You know, um, children 
often show boredom when they don't know what next to do. So I would say don't take her boredom at face value, just as a beginning point. Um, they will often do that thing and they'll walk away, but they heard you. They heard you. They don't always know to respond. My hunch is that your, your, your girl is struggling with working memory. Um, and working memory has to do a lot with multitasking, but it also has to do with the information I can take in in the given moment. And if her own brain is moving at this pace, because sometimes their brains do race, and you have to look at that sympathetic arousal piece also for the brain speed, right? So they're going there, and we're trying to slow them down, which is the correct thing to do, and I will not change that. I will strongly urge you to keep it there, because doing a race speed thinking is also not going to help to get her there. But what I would do is perhaps what I say, just keep the information less, if that makes sense. Don't go, you know, you're going slower, but also go less. And just f find one or two words that is key points on what she is pointing out. So that you, so that she's not overloaded with the language component, as well as the sequential component, as well as the timing component that comes in the whole multitasking piece. So I would have some investigation and working memory, also looking back at Praxis again, if you have not done so already, um, do it again, because Praxis has a very hidden piece that stops the, the pragmatic speech from really having a good entry into working memory. Okay, so those will be pieces I would be looking for, but I wouldn't change what you're doing. The nervous system probably needs a bit of a boost. And this mom is full on in floor time, so she knows the drill. <laughs> so awesome. thank you again, um, Maud LaRue, occupational therapist, DIR expert training leader in Glen Mills, Pennsylvania at A Total Approach. Thank you so much. I will put links to what we discussed in the blog post at affectautism.com slowing down to move faster and stay tuned next week we will be talking um, with susan hopkins about the new co-reg community which is uh stems from self-reg and dr stuart shanker's work and we will be talking more about the co-regulation piece that maude referred to today so it'll be a nice follow-up to this podcast so thank you so much maude for being here thank you for having me for more information from Maud LaRue or her clinic, A Total Approach, you can see maudlarue.com for the Maud LaRue Academy, where she does a number of trainings and videos for parents. And her DIR floor time clinic, A Total Approach, equipping the child, empowering the parent at atotalapproach.com, where they offer a variety of services, including intensives at atotalapproach.com. Until next time, here's to choosing play and experiencing joy every day. We Chose Play is a new series documenting my family's floor time journey. You can see the preview on YouTube, and you can register to watch the extended trailer for free at affectautism.com play, or just go to wechoseplay.com. Season 1 has begun, and you can find Episode 1 and Episode 2, with Episode 3 on its way. With each episode, you'll glean insights, tips, and reflections, what I learned and what I know now that I would tell myself back then along the way. I hope it will support caregivers in their floor time experience. WeChosePlay.com